to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Jody. Great to see you. Hello, Eleni. Good morning. Good morning. So last week, we hosted our second Listen Again Awards event. And on last week's episode, we did a mashup of our Listen Again Award winners. The event was so amazing. What were some of the highlights for you? Oh, I just loved to be in the room with our award recipients, Neil Chabelli and Ron Robinson. They're so inspiring. They are just such incredible collaborators in our industry. They know everybody. Everybody knows them. So it was so fun is that, you know, we had a room full of C-suite leaders, influencers, beauty editors, and Neil and Ron, you know, know them all and they all know them. And it's really exciting to see the networking, which is of course my favorite part. My co-host for the event was Serena Pitt and she is an influencer. Um, she's also from the Bachelor Nation. So Bachelor fans would really love to know more about Serena. Um, and you can, because we actually will be recording with Serena on an upcoming episode. She'll be part of our influencer theme. That's so great to hear. It was so wonderful to be on site, just connecting with everybody. And we are thrilled to be kicking off 2024 with our C-Suite Wisdom theme. On today's episode, we're taking a peek behind the curtain of the career journey of Chris Payne, CEO of clean beauty brand chain Aridel, best known as the skincare makeup. Wow, this brand story is so fascinating. Jane is literally the OG of this category. She was the first, you know, many decades ago to launch clean makeup, makeup that would take care of your skin. And I love that Chris is now running the brand as CEO. I've known Chris for a really long time. Um, he's been in professional skincare for many years and we met there. So it's very exciting to see him taking um, the leadership role here. That's so exciting. So excited to hear more about the this female founded brand as well. So um, Chris talks about like his experiences in college that helped him on his career journey. He also was a wrestler in high school. So offline, we were talking about that because my son's a wrestler. And he talked about this like level of focus and intensity that he has as a job. And he recognizes that's not for everybody. And when he said that, I laughed inside. I'm like, yeah, I'm familiar with that focus and intensity. I love the C-suite wisdom theme. It's so fascinating to me. It always brings so many learnings to the table that we can use in our day-to-day at Base Beauty. And also people from any stage of their career can really take and try to implement in their day-to-day lives. So let's get to it. Here is episode 249, Chris Payne, CEO of Jane Aradell. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. We are a career journey podcast talking about what it's like to define success and reach for in the beauty and wellness industries. Today, we are starting our new quarter, C-Suite Wisdom, with Chris Payne, CEO at Jane Aradell. His goal is to lead the brand in all aspects to continue Jane's vision as the original pioneer in clean beauty, and to help define this space and educate consumers. Previous experience includes brands you all know and like, PCA Skin, L'Oreal, Lancome, and Ralph Lauren Fragrances. I'm excited to dive into the conversation about his career journey from menswear to makeup, all on episode 249. Hi, Chris. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, it's my pleasure to be here. Okay, Chris, we're going to go way, way, way back. Career journey can be (laughs) long, and a lot of us as little kids are thinking about, like, what do I want to be when I grow up? So go back to your 11-year-old self. What do you want to be when you grow up? When I was 11, I think I probably – there was a bunch of different things, but – You know, my dad was a doctor. My great-grandfather was a doctor. I think at that age, I probably thought I was going to be a doctor. I mean, I just turned 50, so it's kind of hard to remember that long ago. But 
that dream lasted until one day of organic chemistry at the University of Michigan. And I decided that that intensity was just not what I was looking for at the time. <laughs> so if you're thinking back to that 11-year-old doctor dream, what would you have been a doctor of? Was there something on your mind? At that point, I don't think I really would have known. I think I just liked the idea of helping people. I liked the idea of how the whole body worked, how everything worked. So My dad was a general practitioner, so I probably, I think that's what I just thought doctors were, you know, at the time. I, I, although I will say at this point, I probably would have toughed it out and became a dermatologist. Okay. Well, that's a, a good that's a good field to be in. That's a good segue. Um, so actually what I wanted to share with the um, fans listening in is that um, I've known you for quite some time. We met when you were at PCA Skin. So yep. this feels like seven years ago. Am I right? Probably, yeah, somewhere around there. Probably seven, yeah. And so I've gotten to see, um, you know, you in your career and, you know, skin care, skin health is really just like such a fun place to be. So in a way, I think you are helping people, maybe not exactly like a doctor would, but in many similar ways. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the things that I remember my dad telling me was that if you don't, like some people were definitely at that time going into medicine for money. And mm -hmm. I, think, I think some still do. But I remember my dad saying that if you don't, do this for the love of helping people and caring for others, you will hate every day of the job, regardless of the money. And I kind of did take that to heart. And I mean, I definitely just got intimidated by one five minutes of organic chemistry lecture, I think. But um, I do find that like, I do take great joy and I take great pride and I take great, um, I really look forward to every day in the sense of how we can help people. I've been very lucky and very fortunate to work for some of the brands that I have, you know, whether it be at my years at L'Oreal, uh, my first foray into kind of entrepreneurial world at Clarisonic, uh, and then, you know, PCA Skin and now Jane. I've had the privilege to work for brands that I believe, you know, really make a difference in people's lives and a variety of differences. But it really helps you just, it helps you go to work in the morning when you know that you're, you're technically making a difference and how somebody feels about themselves that day. You know, just watching some of the questions roll in as you're chatting, it's really clear that people are turning to your brand because they actually want help, right? Like genuinely are asking really simple questions because they, it's hard to find the answers these days. There's so much noise and so much confusion in, mm -hmm. in this category. Before we move on to more of your story, I know there is an actual Jane. Can you just yep. give me a little bit of her story? Well, it's, if, as some people would say, if you, know, if you ask me the time, I'll build you a watch. Um, so you, I can talk about Jane for hours on end because she's such an absolutely wonderful person. Jane is such, I, again, it just, you could talk about Jane for days. She's such a remarkable person who really did change beauty. She had no background in the beauty industry. She had no grand plans of like becoming, you know, the next, you know, Estee Lauder or something like that, or Helena Rubenstein. Um, Jane was, she worked on really all aspects of, of TV and film and, and brought in stage. Um, she worked as a casting director. She worked as a, she worked in advertising. She worked as a producer. And Jane is also, though, beyond just the working part of Jane, she's a maverick. She's somebody who 
doesn't see an obstacle as a barrier. She sees it as an opportunity to get better or to, to change. And she was at the time working uh, as a casting director and she was, was a discussion with a, like a president of a, of a modeling agency saying how they, this is, you gotta remember, this is like the late eighties. This is a, this is not recent. This is 40 years ago, but at the time, you know, makeup is big and it's glamorous. It's the eighties. Think of dynasty, you know, you know, shows like that. And the president of the casting agent or the, the modeling agency was saying how they don't really sign uh, women who have skin issues because it can be so problematic booking them or, you know, getting them on jobs because at the time, especially just where more technology was, it was, it was hard to, to Photoshop and to fix things up, et cetera. And Jane heard that and just felt that that was wrong because it's, somebody's skin shouldn't be limiting them from their future. And one of the things that Jane really identified as a barrier to that skin health was the makeup that people were using. Because Jane was into wellness and clean living long before it was a buzzword or a catchy, trendy thing. Jane was into what you put into your body and the impact that you make around the world around you. She was into that, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And so she felt that when she looked at the makeup, and they get to remember, this was late 80s, early 90s. When, she looked, when you looked at the makeup that people were wearing, it was, so, it was filled with so many things that maybe helped with performance, but it also had a negative impact on the skin. And Jane just felt like, you know what? This makeup does not have to be made this way. You should be able to make great makeup that's also great for your skin. Again, she wasn't a chemist. She didn't come from marketing. She didn't come from a beauty company, but she she just felt and she knew that you could do a better job. And so she found some other people who did do those things. And she created a powder that was still we still sell today called Amazing Base. It's a loose powder. And she felt it wasn't, at the time, you know, it wasn't clean beauty. That wasn't even a word. Maybe mineral makeup was kind of a word. But Jane felt that you should take out things that are clogging pores and that are irritants, things that you can be reactive to your skin, and also include ingredients that are good for your skin. Either things that are going to help with inflammation, things that are going to help, you know, protect your skin against free radicals or UV rays. And that's where Amazing Base was born. And again, Jane wasn't like this, you know, planning to be some big makeup brand. She just wanted to get this in the hands of people, like I said, at the time, actors and models, you know, using stage makeup, which are a lot of heavy ingredients that can interact, interrupt and interact with the skin. So from there, it went to estheticians and some dermatologists, people who worked in that professional space who were doing laser treatments, chemical peels, etc. which again, late 80s, early 90s, a lot of redness, a lot of reaction. There's been a ton of progress since then. But, you know, you had a week-long downtime if you got a peel or a laser treatment. Those professionals found that they could use Amazing Base and then some other products that Jane had. And not only did it provide amazing camouflage in terms of that redness, it also provided superior protection against UV rays when your skin is compromised due to that professional, you know, treatment. And it also wasn't then irritating the skin further or causing further things. So it was a way to protect the investment, to protect the service, and to make a happier patient. So this idea of being in the pro channel was really born from this, this union, you know, between both being an after-procedure product as well as just amazing makeup that if a patient suffered from acne or suffered from rosacea, they could use makeup and 
not, for, not interrupt their skin journey. The reason I bring this up is that when you talk about you know, medicine, you know, being a doctor, you talk about improving people's lives, if you have acne, you have irritable skin, you have rosacea, sensitivities, etc., you have difficulty wearing makeup, you're in a weird way kind of being discriminated against. Like it's not, it's not equal. It doesn't treat everybody the same. And so by giving people this power to like actually you know, use makeup, that is a gift that allows so many people to just, in, in, like with quotes, you know, kind of be, quote, normal, like where they can just engage and wear makeup. When before these kind of brands like Jane existed, there really wasn't a lot of options. And so we help people. That's why we love the professional channel, because we work with professionals who are also helping people have their best life. So, Chris, I want to ask our fans. Sorry listening. for the rambling. No, I love it. It was so great. For all of our fans listening in, if you've used Amazing Base at any time in your life, please drop us an emoji because I'm I'm going to guess it's like 99% of the people watching. Well, 99% have probably used the pressed powder version, okay. which is pure, pure pressed base, which I can say, look, I worked at Lancome. Dual Finish is an amazing pressed powder. I've converted many dual finish people to your press base because it's quite simply the best press powder you will ever use. And I do not say that I'm not a paid poke person. I am an employee, but it is the best powder on earth. Okay. Ashley, Tracy, some other names are popping in their emojis for me. I figured this is, um, you know, the game changer product for people. And um, fans are actually like adding so many great questions to the question bubble. So please keep adding them in. We'll get to a few of them at the end. Okay. So thank you for telling me about Jane, because there are, you know, plenty of brands with a name on the brand and that person doesn't exist or was a figment of someone's imagination. And, and Jane is, Jane is still involved. I mean, you know, I, I take over the day to day, but I meet with Jane regularly. She is passionate, as passionate today as she was in the beginning about ingredients, about the impact on the environment, on the impact of empowering people and, and giving people their best life. Like Jane is, she's a force of nature. She changed the beauty industry. She's changed the community in which we operate. And she's just a wonderful person. Well, I hope to get to meet Jane someday because um, it's incredible Absolutely. like to think about what a mountain she had to climb in telling this story and why it's important when these trends of ingredients and, you know, the consumer being educated were decades away, right? Yeah. Okay. So let's let's get back on the Chris train. Um, you knew first year at Michigan that you are not going to be a physician. First, first day. <laughs> okay, first day. <laughs> you swapped out of that class. Did you have a vision for your career at that point or were you just sort of like, okay, liberal arts, what am I going to do here? I had no idea. I didn't even know like what a career was pretty much. <laughs> I took classes that I really liked, that I found intellectually stimulating. I took anthropology, biological anthropology, because you know, just this idea of like where did we come from and how did things, mm -hmm. how does everything work together, just I found really, I don't know, I, it wasn't like studying to me. Um, and, uh, but I didn't know what an anthropologist is. Like I didn't, that's not even a job, I didn't think. so. I just kept taking those classes because I really found them enjoyable and just really interesting. And then at one point for a hot minute, I thought about, oh, yeah, I'll be an anthropologist. But I didn't even know you have to take the GRE and things like that. I mean, that's how, that's how like, plugged in I was. But I worked full time on campus. I paid for all my rent and all my books and I paid for all my bills. And so I worked full time the last few years I was in school, which is like, that's a little like cue that I was a five-year student, uh, not a four-year student, <laughs> to show you how like organized I was. But I um, worked at a store on campus. This one guy owned it. It was like a mini REI that this guy started. 
And I was the kind of clothing department manager, and then I became the buyer of the clothing area because I worked 40 hours a week. And I would go to New York on these buying trips, and I would go to Chicago. And I didn't, I mean, I didn't kind of, they say like ignorance is bliss, or <laughs> like I didn't know what I was doing so that it, I didn't, it didn't over it didn't overwhelm me that I was in charge of spending millions of dollars at age twenty two or whatever. But I loved that job because retail buying was actually very similar to anthropology in a weird way. Where anthropology, you don't really know what happened, but you connect a lot of variables and you tell a story, and then other people either point out flaws in your story or they agree with it. And retail buying is like that, but in in the other direction. I don't know what you're going to buy. But I can use a lot of unrelated data and tell a story about what I think you're going to do. And then in turn, marketing is not that different from either of them as well. You don't ever really know what's going to happen until it happens. But you can use a lot of other data points and a lot of other variables to give confidence in what you think is going to happen. And so from being a, from this anthropology degree, I took a job at a department store in Minneapolis, Minnesota called Dayton Hudson Marshall Fields, rest in peace, it's no longer. But I was in men's sportswear because that was kind of the background of my what I did. Anthropology did not give me that job. <laughs> but then I became, they moved me into better, better cosmetics. And I became like a merchandise planner. And from there, I switched sides of the table and became an account executive for the fragrance division of L'Oreal selling into the account. This was all still in Minneapolis. And then after a year of that, L'Oreal moved me to New York to do marketing for... Uh, the domestic arm of Ralph Lauren fragrances. And then that kind of transitioned into all the marketing jobs and things like that. But it, all of them had a core thing where it was about curiosity and problem, like trying to figure out the riddle, you know, of, of what's happening and what I love about what we do and what I love about beauty and what I love about marketing. And, and, you know, now I'm in a different role, but you never really know the answer. You just are constantly trying to refine what you're doing and learn and listen and observe. And, you know, you can't just ask people, what should I make? Because people don't always know that. But you, if, if you pay enough attention, you can ask them questions that they can answer. And then your job is to take that, those answers and put them together to create something that they want. But your job is not to just, you're not a short order cook where you're just taking an order for a meal and then making it. Like, that's not our job. Our job is to, is to listen to what they're not saying, listen to what they're saying, like pay attention to what they're doing, and put all that together. So I want to go back to college for a second. Some of my favorite classes were anthropology also. I was actually a government law major, but was very disinterested in my major um, by, you know, the time junior year rolled around. And I had like a really quirky um, anthropology teacher and he was so offbeat, but like, I loved it so much. And I think we are anthropologists. Like I, that's something yeah. I say to my team all the time. Like, and this is such a fascinating space to like, you know, understand human behaviors and how, um, how these objects, you know, the things that they're using every day impact their lives. And I love that you were able to get so much retail experience. Like, how cool is that? And the other thing I want to mention about this is for any parents listening in right now and they're, like, freaking out that their kids are, like, you know, taking five, six, whatever number of years to finish college, it doesn't matter. Chris is the CEO of a great brand. It's going to work out. Everything's going to be okay. Everyone does it in their own time. You know, you, the thing is, though, you don't have to have a plan. Like, the goal, the, the key is, well, look, I say this with hindsight, too, but the goal is about 
trying your best at whatever it is you do and always try to take something from what you do and take things that are hard and are challenging because that's where you, you know, you don't grow, you don't get muscles without resistance. You don't get in better shape without running out of breath. Like you need to be stretched and you need to be pushed because that's when you learn things and then take those things to your next job or your next class or your next year. The, but you don't have to have a plan. But you have to try your best and you have to be, you have to push yourself and you have to be, you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. If everything is easy, you're not going to really change. You're not going to evolve or grow. But I think not having a plan, I'm also very comfortable not having plans, but you have, not having a plan means that you open yourself up to things. Like I remember somebody told me when I was graduating college, you know, they were kind of making fun of all the people. This is 1997, by the way, so it's long, that's not really the same world anymore, but they were kind of making fun of the commencement speaker at Michigan. They were making fun of all the people who were graduating college to be consultants, like management consultants, because like you've never even worked, but now all of a sudden you're going to be in a job consulting with other people how to do their job. So the, and their, their advice was hopefully you get a job out of college that you really don't like, because what it's going to do is it's going to push you to change it's going to push you to a learn something you don't want to do but it's also going to push you to like strive to find something you do like um but again that that uncomfortableness is kind of where we grow in a way i mean i'm not and i'm not advocating for people to be miserable or anything like that but you know a little bit of stretching and a little bit of pushing i think can go a long way yeah and i I, there's so much pressure to follow the like typical path right and ride the same train that everybody else is in the same amount of time and that's just so unnecessary right there's yeah. a lot of ways to learn there's a lot of ways to have yeah. um, a life adventure in learning and I'm really glad to see that these rules are loosening up a little bit and you know some people are taking gap years they're getting jobs like you did you know working like well, basically full-time during college and getting a taste for different industries and not just taking that one controlled regimented path well and on this to build on that and this you know this might sound somewhat controversial but I mean college isn't for everybody mm-hmm. you know I think that we've kind of there's been this thing for the last 40, 50 years where, oh, you got to go to college. Well, that's not true. I mean, there's some people, they're better with their hands, maybe. Some people are better at building things. I mean, that there's tons of other per- careers and professions, but I think this notion that you have to go to college is a little overdone. And it's it does a disservice to, I think, a ton of other professions that, like, are not maybe on a college track. And... I don't know. I just think that it's become a, it's become a, a like this like group think where you got to go to college. Well, that, it's just not, it's just not true. I'm totally right there with you. You know, certainly I think there's a, a place for a degree and for some people they, um, you know, maybe they they'd be first generation um, in their family to have a college degree, but if you wanted to be like, I don't know, like a video editor, you don't have to go to a four-year college to yeah. do that, right? You can go through a program, you can learn it, you can apprentice somewhere and get a job doing it. I mean, one of the biggest components of our industry, uh, one of the people that we rely on the most are estheticians, you know, and where where would professional skincare and professional beauty be without estheticians? It'd be nowhere. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, there, I, I mean, 
it's just there, there's this, this, this notion that if you don't go to college, you're, you're limiting yourself just isn't true. It, it worked for me. It helped me find out what I wanted to do. It helped me by giving me all these things to explore and that allowed me to go. But for some people, it could it'd be a miserable experience and a waste of a ton of money. Yep. Um, Tamara, Polished by Tamara, just told us she went to college, but she ended up going back to school for aesthetics, and it's the best thing she's ever done. She loves, yeah. loves, loves what she's chosen to do. I work with a lot of estheticians and dermatologists in my day job at Beast Beauty, and um, I don't think I've ever met an SD who doesn't love being an SD. Like, it's, it's a, just For many incredible. people, it's a calling. Mm-hmm. It, their estheticians are some of the most nurturing, caregiving like wonderful people and it's a tactile it's a it's an interaction piece that is a like i don't know if i don't know if taking you know like communications 101 is going to help you do that yeah um it's also this like really generous world a generous Mm. community right when um i've been around you know estes who you know have a legacy and been doing a long time and they're meeting someone who just entered the field there's like a let me take you under my wing call me anytime you know there's this real um community mindset and they are helping people in a huge way i take my kids to an sd for um acne and it's like changed everything for them i mean my my whatever you want to call it life partner of the last you know many years is an esthetician you know, so I obviously have, you know, she's the mother of my daughter. So I think I have great love for estheticians. Well, let's talk, let's switch a little bit. We have a few minutes left for this portion of the show. I want to talk about defining success because this is like kind of a really complex idea in my head. So I had like the vision of what I thought success was in my early 20s, which I thought it was money. And now I'm an adult and I have two kids. I have my own business. I have this show and other things in my life that I love. And success for me is added up to like wealth of time, like control over my time. So I'm curious to hear, you know, now that you're at the C-suite level, right, and you've been leading brands for quite some time, how did you see success when you first started in beauty, let's say maybe back at the department store, and how do you define it now for yourself? You know, it's a really interesting question. Um, I think that when I was younger, success meant like your title. Mm-hmm. And success meant your your salary. At the same time, though, also success meant approval by those at the top. Success also, though, at that time for me, and it still does actually, is like successful launches. You know, successful rankings and you know where your brand ranks or your where your launch ranks. That was that was a real report card uh, for me. But I, at the earliest, earliest, it was about promotions, titles, and money. And then approval from those above, I would probably say. And look, that, that's a very real part of business. But I think as I've gotten older, the, the role of the business succeeding equals more success. Right, which is the work product of the whole team. Yeah, it's the, all the things that go into it and how it does versus, like, I think when I was younger, success was about me. Mm-hmm. As you get older, success becomes more about the products, the brands, the teams, the company. I love that you mentioned this younger worldview of like getting approval and um, applause from, you know, those senior people. We're getting that attention, that positive feedback. I think that's a human nature thing, right? We want we want 
to do well. And one of the ways that we know we're doing well is if we get the attention of people who've already done it before. Yeah. Totally normal. I remember watching some very like political scenes play out in some of my companies in my early 20s. I was like, oh my God, like this person's playing the game. I get it. Like, I, yeah. like I'm like watching the game unfold right in front of me. And I was like, so not a player and I had no game, but I was watching it. The political stuff is very tough when you're young because uh, I was the first person in my family to work at a company. So I didn't have a lot of people to really rely on or to, to, to gain that insight from. Um, I mean, I was like a social person and whatnot, but I didn't really get the political part of it. And it's real. And it used to drive me crazy because I felt like I didn't, I was in a game where I didn't know the rules. And I also, I have a sense of fairness and I did not, I really did not like people who were kind of, I think, getting accolades or credit when they didn't deserve it. Uh, it drove me crazy, but I think you also kind of learned that there's no point in losing your mind over things you can't control. Right. So there's this aspect of playing the game where playing the game was sometimes more important than doing the job, right? Which I hated. Yeah, it's irksome and it's upsetting and I'm, I don't think it happens in my organization, but I'm confident it happens in plenty of big businesses. Yeah, I mean, it ha it, it's, it's part of being human, unfortunately. It's one of the reasons, though, that I've kind of, like, the last 15 years or so preferred working in smaller organizations. Because, look, it still exists to a degree, but nothing like what it does at a giant corporation. So let's talk about the seduction of success. So this is a topic that's also important to me, right? So, for example, in my business, I have goals. And when I, like, hit that, I reach one of those goals and I get a taste of, like, wow, that feels good, then I want more, like, more goals, uh, more paths to um, fulfilling that goal. But what that inspires in me is because I'm an entrepreneur and I'm entrepreneurial natured is to work more, dig in deeper. My brain won't shut down at all. Okay. So what does that mean for me? Oh, well, I don't want to be a workaholic. I'm not a robot. Like I want to, you know, spend time with my kids or not spend time with my kids and, you know, work out and hang out with friends and travel. So, but there's this real true seduction, I think, in the relationship between my ambitions and the calling of like the work, right? It's seducing me. It's saying, come on, Jody, send more emails, have more ideas. And I have to actually like, like talk to myself often and say, no, yeah. it's okay. I'll get to it tomorrow. So I'm curious, how do you, you know, do you hear the seduction or do you feel it? And how do you, or do you not um, kind of control those urges to keep going? You know, I think uh, when I was younger, I think it definitely wasn't, I've always, I think, had a pretty good balance, you know, just naturally, pre-work even, you know, I think. But I'm also a little bit obsessive. So, and I'm, I'm, I've, I've learned through others that I'm fairly intense. Um, I don't always think of it, but I know through enough feedback loops that I am. But when I was younger, I think I was... Chris, is that the word they choose, or is there a more colorful word that's chosen for this? I mean, there's a lot of words <laughs> you could probably use. Um, I just, I'm a very, I've always been an intense, like, it can be tunnel visioned at times, uh, and where the outcome sometimes is more important than how you get there. So that's, but that's my nature. I mean, I was like a wrestler. I was an intense, you know, person that way. And when you're younger, you don't always understand other people's way of doing things. And some people never do. And I mean, I'm never going to, I'm never going to not be 
somewhat intense and I'm never going to not be somewhat hyper-focused and like tunnel visioned at times. So I have to try to augment that by being actively aware of feedback. And I'm not going to, I'm never going to be the sensitive person. It's just, it's not in my, it's not totally who I am, but I do try to be better in everything I do. And so I know that I have that feedback. So like, I'm never, I'm never going to be the, like a, the softest person, but I can try to be softer. You know what I mean? Like I can try to be more compassionate, but I also know that I, it's important for me to surround myself with people that also like appreciate working how I work because it's like, you can't just change who you are because you want to, you have to try to do it or you have to try to offset things or work with what you have. Everybody has quirks. Nobody's perfect. There is no archetype of perfection or, or like what the ideal person, boss, employee, you know, et cetera is. But you have to kind of know who you are. You have to know what you can and can't do and then build around it and work around it. But if you're going to, if I, if I, if I, I could obsess with myself that like, I know that there's certain people who don't like how I work, but that's going to be true of anybody. Everybody is going to have critics. Everyone's going to have fans. So at one point you have to put some of those things aside and just keep moving forward because the world is going to spin and we're going to go around the sun and we're going to keep going no matter what. So you might as well do the best that you can. And again, some people, I, I, I don't, I'm definitely not perfect, but I do try to improve and I do try to take feedback and get better. There's just certain parts of everyone that is better at feedback than others. And everybody has, I think, certain ranges that they can kind of live, live within and evolve. Like, I'm never going to, I'm always going to be somewhat intense. That is just part of who I am. And if you are a person who doesn't like working with intense people, we're probably not going to be a great match. So, but that's like that. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put myself on the cross because I'm an intense person. There's also benefits that come with that. So part of getting older is realizing the importance of true diversity of like all kinds of different ways of working. And then how do we do that together? So like when you brought up the idea of like, of, um, you know, the balance, et cetera, like I know, and we actually use this We've used this um, workplace consultant in the past named Connie Charles, who I, I love to death. One of the things I learned in doing some of that work was that there are certain things that get me excited and then there's certain things, and this is true of everybody, that you know, kind of bring you down. If I don't have recharge time kind of built in, I will become irritable, I will become less creative, I'll become, so the th if I'm always on all the time, it's going to negatively impact my performance and my ability to work with others. So it's not just that I like to have balance. It's like, if I don't have it, I will be worse because of it. That's awesome awareness. Um, and everybody needs to, you know, really understand themselves and be willing to accept it. Right. And be able to talk about There's it. There's some people who like always want more, like they're like mm -hmm. an energizer bunny, you know, where they always, you know, what makes them happy is more. I'm not that way. I need to have a mix of intensity and a mix of total, like I, like part, I'm a bit of a duality. Like I like to be around people, but then I also like to be totally like alone. Whereas some people prefer, maybe they like being solitary all the time. Some people like being around people all the time. So it's just, there's, we're humans. Like there's no, there's no like just cookie cutter way of doing any of this. 
I love that. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. This actually wraps up our interview segment. So thank you to Chris for your honest answers and your wisdom. Um, okay, last part of our show is fan questions. We have a lot here. Okay, so oh, here's a good one. Um, Kathy tells us she's 64. Um, what foundation do you recommend for mature skin with a natural look? Well, honestly, you know, we have several options that could be a great piece there. But what I might recommend, I want to be clear, I'm not a makeup artist. So I, what I, I'm not, <laughs> we, I, I trust others with these opinions much more. But I would recommend starting off with our Smooth Affair uh, Brightening Primer. You really want to always use a primer. Not only does it give better makeup performance, but it's going to really be a great base to, you know, to grip that makeup and to give the best performance. So I'd start with, with Smooth Affair Brightening Primer. I would then actually use Hydropure Tinted Serum as a, as a first layer. Um, and honestly, depending on what kind of coverage you need, like that would be a wonderful, that, that's a, a lot of people use that as just their, their complexion item. But I would use Hydropure Tinted Serum and then finish that with Pure Pressed Powder as a as a like kind of more of a real foundation product it's also pure pressed powder gives that real kind of a it's a natural finish it really is almost like a second skin it's not overly matte it's not overly dewy um you could also use amazing base loose powder that's kind of a preference we just happen to sell more of the pressed powder but that smooth affair hydropure tinted serum pure pressed base and then you might find, you know pure press the great thing about pure pressed powder is it can be both a foundation as well as a concealer you may want to use one of our other concealers depending on your skin and depending on what your needs are. Um, you know, that's one of the great things that we like to preach and provide is we have a range of options. So if you want light coverage, if you want medium coverage, you want full coverage, if you want a, a matte finish, a, a satin finish, a dewy finish, we can kind of work all this because we're not trying to we're not trying to tell you how to look. We're just trying to help you, and with our with our professional partners, we're trying to help you bring out your best look. Well, Juliana agrees with you on that tinted serum recommendation. Good. Okay, so uh, this is a good one. Um, can you tell us how to use Circle and Delete? Circle and Delete is used complementary in terms of, you know, there's a little bit of like, you can do there a lot, our, our poured concealers, which is um, what Circle and Delete is, that's very much of a color correcting product and so you're able to use those complementary in terms of, of color correction whereas like pure match our latest uh, concealer is a liquid concealer and that's more of a shade matching concealer so circle delete is going to be a little bit more advanced in terms of usage just due to the texture and due to the fact that it's a color correction product it's really going to give you amazing concealing properties versus say a liquid or more of a of a, of a, of a skin tone concealer um, but my advice and this isn't just because i'm not a makeup artist i say this for anything that we have we encourage you either to go see it to see a professional partner if there's if there's one near you or on our website we have find a professional uh, you put in your zip code it'll 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 load with all of our professionals we are nothing without our professional partners and they're going to give you way better advice than i am to be totally honest so last question that we have time for for the pure press powder is there a tool that provides optimal results for application well, well, we're going to always recommend what we call the skincare makeup system. We always believe in starting with a primer. For us at Smooth Affair, we have a brightening primer, an illuminating primer, as well as a mattifying primer. 
We always, though, preach to start with the primer. Not only is it just great for your skin, um, it's going to also help with some skin, um, you know, like, well, brightening, illuminating, or, or mattifying. But it's not only going to help your skin, but it's also going to help the makeup perform better. Um, after the Smooth Affair, Pure Press Base, we generally use the handy brush uh, with downward strokes due to the way that the, the powder is, is, micro, is um, milled. A downward stroke is going to give a better uh, finish, a more natural finish. And then we always recommend to finish with one of our hydration sprays. Uh, it's, you could call it a setting spray, but really these are hydration sprays. The hydration spray is very important because that really helps give you the finish on the skin. It helps pull that makeup onto the skin so it stays perfectly. It also doesn't give any of that kind of uh, texture. It won't get, without the spray, whether, I mean, we always say our spray, but other people, you know, people do like to use their other their own sprays. But if you don't use the spray, you could look a little bit textured. The makeup will maybe move a little bit. It won't, it won't wear as long. Um, Pomace is, is by far our number one spray. It's a great all-around spray. But we also have like a calming lavender spray. We have a hydrating spray. We have a, a balanced spray for, for oiliness, etc. But the skincare makeup system, which is the Smooth Affair uh, primer, the Pure Press Base as your foundation, and then one of the sprays is really, the, if you use those three products along with the Handy brush, which is going to be for application, if you, use, if you use those three products, you will have your best skin of your life. Chris, this is so fun. I'm so glad that we got to reconnect this way. Thank you so much for joining us for our 249th episode. So thank you for Wonderful. helping us start off the new year. It was really fun. I hope to get to see you in real life again soon. I will hope to see you as well, Jody. It was a pleasure. And thank you so much for both having me and as well and not having uh, Jane Iredale on as well. And for our fans listening in, thank you for joining us. If you like this episode, please rate and review. And as always, make sure you're following us on your favorite podcast platform and Instagram to stay up to date on upcoming episodes and all the fun we have along the way. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.